hello and welcome everybody to another episode of our Puget Systems live Q&A show. Um, I'm excited to have Mr. Noah Kadner, uh, host of the Virtual Production Podcast, author of the Virtual Production Field Guide, and Virtual Production Editor at American Cinematographer Magazine. Um, I feel like there's probably a few other uh, titles, some hyphens in there uh, that we could add for you as well. Um, but I'm glad to have you here. Thank, thank you very much, Noah. Um, and uh, I always like to start off, just in case anybody doesn't already know, and maybe if I didn't cover it enough, uh, give us a little introduction about who you are and what you do. Uh, that's basically it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of sitting at the nexus of all things virtual production, which for anybody who hasn't heard about it yet is just basically anywhere where there's an intersection of the digital world with the live film production. So it's kind of kind of sweeping the nation, sweeping the world right now. It is. It is kind of the big thing right now, uh, especially with like the Mandalorian. And I think that's really the big one where people kind of heard the, the word and what it is and, and what they're doing with it. But um, as I recently found out from listening to your podcast, um, this sort of work, maybe not necessarily named as such, um, but this sort of stuff has been around for a long time and that was actually really surprising to me and i i'd like to start with that what was your first encounter with what eventually became to be called virtual production well i mean i think you know the first time i saw what would be formalized as virtual production was probably when i saw the movie avatar where you know they took a pretty a pretty good swing at taking digital characters and sort of driving them with with i mean it's interesting because the theme of that movie is all about human beings sort of mentally teleporting themselves into other bodies and driving them around as if they were you know as if it was playing a video game but in order to do that they it's they literally did that in real life they took real life actors covered them in in suits with markers filmed them with special cameras and that was used to drive the animation so it looks you know looked much more like real live action even though it was these giant you know 10 foot tall blue alien monsters or whatever <laughs> or good guys whatever you want to call them. Um, but, but uh that 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 was kind of the first time without even knowing it because it wasn't even other than the people in that movie no, nobody was using that term quite yet um okay. and it, it kind of it's become popularized only in the last few years because of you know shows like the mandalorian which have really taken that um that crossover capability to the limit so, yeah yeah that's cool um oh i just had an i just had a thought too um and now and then it's gone. I apologize. That happens sometimes. <laughs> Lost oh, in the metaverse. It was because um, from what I understand is um, James Cameron actually had the idea for Avatar for a long, long time, but knew that he had to wait for the technology to sort of catch up. Um, and I suppose it's a little interesting that it's been so long since the first one to now they're talking about like a new trilogy coming and. I suppose just offhand, do you think that's because he waited again for technology to sort of catch up? I think the dude is busy, and and I I don't I think he was less worried about the technology so much as just coming up with story. I mean, it's it's funny because people think of James Cameron as as you know a very technical craftsman filmmaker, but if you look at all of his movies, he writes them and he really spends an inordinate amount of time coming up with story and character that you care about, and then he could throw all the bells and whistles he wants. Versus you know, you see a lot of movies today where it's it's all flash and you don't really care what's happening in the story. You're just kind of taking the ride. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, I, I've actually had a chance to talk to some of the folks that are working on that movie now because it's a lot of the same crew. Okay, and they're saying, you know, other than the, than the setting, you know, it's, it's they've made it they've they've made it 
clear that this time it, it's kind of focusing more on the ocean world and less on the on the jungle world. Um, but as far as what they're doing, it's very similar techniques. Like they're pushing the technology further, but um, the basic concept of how they're making the film is is more or less the same. So you know, it's it's it was really just kind of taking the time to develop you know the mythology I and mean, you know, the kind of stuff you hopefully dream of doing if you're a filmmaker and making something good sure sure um i, I want to talk about a little bit about um your field guide your the virtual production field guide uh that you wrote there's a volume two now i just noticed as i was looking around today um where where did that sort of come from what was uh, the inspiration there so there's a very nice gentleman by the name of Miles Perkins, who is one of the big um, industry um, uh, business development folks over at Epic Games, the makers of Unreal Engine, who sought me out due to some stuff I had written for American Cinematographer and just sort of asked if I would be willing to take on this um at the time, I mean, the thing is, when we first started this series, Mandalorian was not out yet. And the mm -hmm. whole, even just trying to describe to somebody the concept of, we're going to make this big soundstage, we're going to surround it with giant uh, LED screens, and we're going to film visual effect shots live instead of on a green screen. It's like, you just describe that to people before that, before that show came out. It was just like, mm, I could sort of see how that works, but I don't think it's possible. It just... It seems like the technology is not there yet. So sure. the, the idea was to have that that sort of piece ready to go so that when that show did arrive, there was, you know, some kind of um, primer on how it was done, essentially. And, uh, and so, yeah, we got to interview a lot of people that worked on that. We got to interview just people who had been doing various aspects of, you know, all this different ask, different ways to do virtual production and kind of just try and collate in this thing. Because it's one thing that's really cool about um, and again, not to sound like an ad for Epic Games, but since it's a gaming company and games are extremely multiplayer right now, um, you know, the bread and butter of these companies right off the bat is, is to be very community oriented and, and mm -hmm. you know, crowdsourcing and, you know, have a lot of collaboration across uh, across boundaries. So for them, they're very interested in seeing everybody have access to this to this technology and understand how it works and they're not about like holding stuff close to the vest. They just want everybody to know everything immediately. Yeah, which is great. I I think it is so cool that um, Epic is uh, just behind behind this one hundred percent. I I know early on um, with like the Machinima sort of uh, community, you know, the old school red versus blue and stuff. A lot of that it felt like you're you're sort of fitting a square peg into a round hole you're you have these interesting tools but you're totally using them in a way that they never intended and unreal is just like hey this is great and we're gonna help you guys out and i think that is that's just super cool i love that yeah i mean it, it's it's interesting because yeah you talk about um prior efforts in this area like that um it's it, it's only been in the past you know handful of years that, that the image quality is gotten to the point where it does compete with movies. Um, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before this, they just put out this kind of interactive experience called the matrix awakens to kind of go with the new movie. And it's, they'd have some shots in that that are completely generated, not just computer generated, but generated live, you know, on the fly as you're playing it on a console, like a PlayStation or an Xbox. And, there are definitely shots back to back where it cuts from what is live action footage to what is completely computer animated on the actors. And it's, it's hard to tell the difference because the quality of the imagery that's, that's possible delivering is just so high now. 
it's amazing. It's so cool. And, and, and it's interesting, too, to note, um, you know, at the beginning, we were saying this sort of work has been around for a long time. And it, it just occurred to me while we were talking that um, the way like the Mandalorian style uh, LED volume sort of virtual production isn't that different from how um movies were done where like you'll have a driving scene and it's it, the green screen or, or blue screen behind in the windows they're they're it's either rear projection or um, even matte paintings in a way could could be mm-hmm. kind of considered a, a similar sort of technique that has evolved now into just a, a digital format um and it's just really neat i'm i'm shocked and amazed to see how far we've come in such a s- short amount of time yeah, I mean, um, you know, Hitchcock was a big uh, proponent of rear projection where you basically, you know, plunk an actor down in a foreground set, small set, and typically driving shots. Um, and, then you, and then you put a big movie screen behind them and you project footage and you refilm that and you can, you know, it's, it's, if it's used sort of judiciously, it can be fairly convincing. And, you know, you can do stunts and, and kind of, I mean, one of the biggest challenges in making a movie is to just get people into a car and drive around the street. It sounds simple because you drive every day, but when you think about all the camera lighting and like just the safety factor, and then on top of all that, just that the actors can focus enough to drive. And that's assuming it's a nice day outside and, you know, it's not raining or it's not a, the sun's about to set or whatever. So to be able to bring that convincingly down into a studio just is hugely advantageous just on many levels. But if you go and look at a lot of those older movies, it's very um, static because mm-hmm. the ca- because since the since the camera is rephotographing footage that's already been shot, you're kind of locked into whatever the angle was that the footage was shot in. If right. you're doing a shot where the car is like dri- you know a guy's driving the car like this and the street is flashing by in the background, it looks fine. But if you suddenly start moving the camera around, the background is will not shift to to uh, match and it'll just look really fake. It'll be very obvious that it's in front of a movie screen. Whereas what's so cool about this latest tech is that the ca- the system knows where the camera is as it moves. And since what's in the projection area is live animation and not baked in footage, you can just shift to match and everything just looks as real as it would if you were filming on a real street, only you're in total control. So you know, that is just a huge advantage. And, and I think is what's driving the interest in this. It's just like it takes away a lot of the pain points brings you back to you know a very um creative hopefully and just like straightforward way of filming yeah. <laughs> kangaroo chili on twitch asks um the matrix Awa- matrix awakens looks amazing can we expect that to be an emerging standard at some point so when you're looking at the matrix awakens you're seeing a kind of preview of the next great the next major version of unreal engine mm-hmm. yeah and, it was unreal 5 right so unreal 5 so so which, again, another interesting thing about Epic is that they're willing to share. I mean, right now, there's three major versions of the of the software that you can download and use. Okay. Uh, there's two that are still based on version four, and then there's one that's version five. And um, they, they're very clear, like, don't use version five for games yet because we're still, you know, we're still working on improving and all that. But... It's like a preview, and that's what they use for the Matrix Awakens. So, it, it it will definitely become a standard because that will be, that is essentially the next version of the software and its capabilities. And what they did, you kind of kind of the they they fixed up a lot of stuff and, and added a lot of new features. But kind of the two major ones that you're seeing in that are 
a greatly accelerated um, global illumination technology. So like everything is just lit as it is in the real world with light rays that don't just shine on one thing and stop, but bounce all around and everything just looks very realistic. And all that is live used to be like, you, you could not have that quality of, of light without needing to render and post. And the other major thing is they figured out some way, and I don't even understand, to just render essentially limitless geometry. So when you're looking at the scenes that are set in the city of that um, experience, it's not just the, the foreground that's being rendered. It's literally the entire city all at once. And somehow wow. some magic, some some mojo it does to just just make everything still play back in real time. I mean, it's just it's basically they broke a lot of the the, the kind of physical rules that that seemed like all animation software had been playing by and up until now it's like you have a limitation in geometry you have a limitation in, in lighting quality they just said no you don't so it's no like, you don't okay. <laughs> I, I, love, I love how simple that is uh, no you don't no exactly. not anymore oh that is super cool so i guess uh, to extend on on to that uh, off of that question um is unreal going to be the future of hollywood is it are we going to see that sort of is everybody just going to be using unreal I mean, I, I would, I would almost, I would almost dare to say it's the present of Hollywood in these kinds of productions. You know, there's, I mean, it's interesting too because it's an ecosystem. You know, um, a lot of the other apps out there that are built built for digital content creation have a kind of place to um, to function alongside Unreal. But Unreal is generally like when you're looking at an LED volume running live uh, and shooting in camera visual effects it's usually unreal or some flavor of unreal that's draw that's actually doing the heavy lifting you know it may be showing models that were built in maya it may be showing photogrammetry that was built in you know wherever but what's actually driving the screen is is typically unreal these days so yeah i would say it is the current standard for this kind of production wow wow i'm, I'm curious about some of the limitations um because because it, it feels like magic and but there's there has to be some parts of it that that are that don't work quite right. What what are what do you have thoughts on that? You know, it's it's funny because one of the sort of like like side hustles that I have is doing integration of systems because I would say if there's one sort of gotcha of the whole thing, it's that it's very bespoke. Like there isn't it's not like you can just run down to like Best Buy and buy a virtual production stage ready to go. Okay. Um, it's extremely bespoke. There's a lot of fairly expensive components that are required to make it function. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's once it's all operating and, and being, um, and being managed by people who know what they're doing. Yeah. It, it is absolutely like magic in the, in, in the moment. And it's magic for the people that count. It's magic for the cinematographer, for the director, for the actors. They don't really care about all that crazy technical wizardry that goes into it. Right. You know, it's like you go to any, you go to, I mean, I saw just on the, just on the, on the verge of the pandemic, I saw uh, Hamilton here in San Francisco. Oh. And, you know, when I, when I first, when they first started, I was really fascinated by all of like the wireless audio that they had, the lighting cues and, you know, the, the way they were like doing cool sort of interesting effects to the, to the sound and the, and the lyrics live. And then after about 10 minutes, I just stopped noticing the tech side and just was caught up in the story, which is kind of the same thing that happens on one of these stages. It's like you walk in there and you're like, oh my God, how is this even possible? And after a while, you just sort of like transported to wherever, you know, like people, like there's a show, there's a show they're doing right now for Netflix called 1899, a series. Okay. 
and it's all it's like a it's kind of like a mystery series set on like an ocean liner at the turn of the century and that was supposed to be all done on location kind of like a game of thrones style like many countries then the pandemic hit and they're like what are we gonna do let's just hey let's shoot it on a LED volume, like Mandalorian, and they did. But they, even so, they like the people who are on that show say, when we're doing a scene where the sea is choppy and we're on the bridge of the ship, even though it's an LED wall and we know we're on dry land, everybody gets seasick. So, wow, <laughs> it just happens. That's uh, that's a. I mean, that speaks to the reality, or or the I suppose the blurring of that line, like that. Yeah, that's wow. It's 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 it's. It's. I mean, it's hard not to. Once, once it's 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 like, um, you know, it is like the Matrix. Once once the screen is completely enveloping your your peripheral vision, it's just like your brain just goes, okay, this is reality now. Like there is no, there is no, there's no longer any hesitation that you're in a box or a soundstage. It's like I'm just wherever you know. It looks like I am because it looks so real. Wow, it's neat. It's neat that you mentioned Hamilton because, um, uh, as a stage play, I just recently saw um, a rendition of uh, a Christmas or not a Christmas story, a Christmas Carol. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I noticed was their their the back. No, I'm I'm terrible with the vocabulary, but the the, <laughs> the back wall of their stage, um, I think, was a giant screen. They they were able to change scenes and um and and it the character was walking toward the audience and the and it looked like they were walking down a street behind them and it didn't click to me but I mean that right there is a application for a virtual production in a live setting and and just like you were saying with Hamilton like after a little bit I didn't even notice it just it was just a part of the scene just like anything else and it definitely helped with the immersion of of watching this this live production it was very very cool yeah i mean you know to, to, it's it's again it's funny because as a as a filmmaker or you know some as somebody who's spent you know quite a few years interviewing fellow filmmakers and and the like for american cinematographer i'm very used to dealing with products and companies that are you know very bespoke to the movie business and that's their whole you know little niche whereas um these real-time uh virtual production techniques are it's it's like they're made for video games mm-hmm. and then they're also used in stage and they're also using concert and it's like it's kind of refreshing to finally be working with a product that is you know that that making movies is kind of the happy accident versus the bread and butter it's like it's 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 very comforting to know you're you're working with a company that's making billions on their video games and then the millions they make or whatever uh producing movies is just kind of table scraps so it's like okay they're not going to go away anytime soon i can really lean into this product because it has so much going for it already versus like oh like this is a camera that all they they make like a hundred of these in a year you know who knows if they're going to be around in five years if business doesn't go great you know it's 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 interesting to see that yeah, I agree. It is it is really neat. Um, I'm curious what um, I also like. So we've kind of touched on the bigger production stuff, the the, the Mandalorian and the Matrix and, and some of the bigger Hollywood stuff. Um, what has been some of your experience in in if any interesting um, applications on a smaller scale? Like um, I, I keep coming back to Matt Workman and the, and the stuff that he's mm-hmm. doing because uh, I just I'm endlessly fascinated where this this guy started with like some green sheets in his garage 
kind of thing. And now he's has like a $50,000 volume, but it's still all like green screen and mocap. And now he's like kind of evolved to mo- mocap suits and trackers mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, I'm curious, just do you have any thoughts or, or maybe interesting anecdotes on that side of things, the more DIY applications? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. When you look at something like the Mandalorian, you know, you're seeing basically the best and brightest in the industry and, and essentially unlimited Disney and Lucasfilm dollars powering a stage that's, that's, that is extremely state of the art. Um, and, but yet that technology that's behind it can definitely be scaled down into something that you could have. I mean, I literally have one of these little volumes in my living room on the other, other side of this wall. And, um, you know, we, sh- we shoot, we shoot, um, surprisingly versatile things on it. And, I mean, it's nowhere near. I mean, I, I would say it's probably worth like one fiftieth of the cost of of the uh, of the stage that Mandalorian is shot on. But I mean, the techniques are are identical. Mm-hmm. It's just everything is is scaled. Like for example, you know, when you look at the um, at the Mandalorian stage, you're looking at uh, a screen that's you know seventy feet across, thirty feet tall, big you know circ- semicircular shape, and it's being powered by you know probably up to 10 computers simultaneously mm-hmm. whereas the stage that we have is like is like 10 feet tall and 16 feet across and is powered by one computer that has to do all the heavy lifting but since it's a flat surface it's not a big deal it's only when you get into these crazy curves and like ceilings and even floors that you need like many computers running it but i mean you know you could you could start even smaller you could take like a tv if you got at you know big box store for 300 bucks and if you zoom in close enough with your camera it will you know cover the edges of the frame and you can do these kinds of techniques too you could do it with your phone i mean it's like that's what matt is into yeah. even to this day i mean the guy could get his hands on any kind of gary wanna but he's he's still using iphone because he's very uh to the diy aspects of it so yeah and there's plenty of room to play in the extremely scalable sandbox yeah i'm i'm I have, I mean, maybe this is just my own fault, but um, I would. I'm excited to see more of of that side of things, of that sort of DIY garage style. Um, again, it, it it just throws me back to the the early Machinima days of you know red versus mm-hmm. blue and things like that, where um, people are taking these tools and and manipulating them to great effect um, beyond what they were originally designed for, and it's it's less so now because. Epic is really pushing hard on this side of, you know, they want people to use Unreal Engine in this way, uh, and they're very supportive of it. And I'm really excited to see more of what people do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's any it's like any tech in the movie business. You know, um, uh, digital cameras kind of hit the scene in the early 2000s around then, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there were some fairly low-end cameras that were shooting to DV tape that were, you know, pretty good. There was still standard definition, but, you know, and, and you could get some in 24p, and so they were nice. But, I mean, as far as, like, if you were filming a movie with digital cameras, you were, you were like George Lucas shooting with state-of-the-art Sony cameras that were huge and covered in cables and were worth, you know... They, they, you couldn't even buy them because they were, they were rental only, but if you could, they were worth, like, a couple hundred grand. And now you can do that quality with your phone. So, I mean, it's like everything as it proliferates becomes more accessible. And I think that will happen with this tech fairly quickly because the components that are required are, there's just nothing, 
there's nothing overly um, unique or, or or exotic about it. It's just understanding how they fit together and it's kind of making it work, which is, I, I think, the challenge for most these days is coming up to speed on that. But we've been helping a lot of, you know, uh, more modest setups like schools. I mean, I'm very, mm-hmm. I'm very into helping film schools to get up speed because I just feel like um, there's a huge opportunity for graduates that have even the slightest exposure to this stuff versus none whatsoever. So I'm just mm-hmm. like pushing every film school I can find to get up to speed. Um, you know, well, and we've good. done it. Yeah. And we've done a couple that are very modest, but you know, are more than enough for them to teach the, the workflow and experiment, which I think is really key right now. That's a, that's an interesting um, thing to touch on is, has it been difficult to kind of get to, um, I suppose, convince these these schools or to to jump onto this or no it just depends i i mean I, what i've discovered is it's it's really um you know ironically it's about education you know um film schools i think film schools in general they they are very used to teaching a, a, their curriculum and they may not have the time necessarily to jump off and and see what is pushing the state of the art every second and so um I've found that when we've done a presentation to a school, it's 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 usually like, oh, they've heard of this, but they haven't really seen it in action. They don't quite, you know, are completely aware of how it all works. And once they do, it's like everybody's like, oh, yeah, we want this like yesterday. Like, we need this. Like, why don't we have this kind of thing? So, um, yeah, I think it's like anything else. It's just awareness. I mean, the thing is, is that you're seeing this now in more and more shows, but you just don't even realize it because it looks so realistic. It just doesn't draw attention to itself as a technique. It's like... It's almost like people like, oh, nobody's using this. It's like, well, what if I told you this show, this show, this show, this show, this show? Oh, okay, everybody's using this. Like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. What are for? um, I guess for the technical aspect of it, what are some of the the pain points um, to getting started with this with virtual production? Well, I would say number one is the screens. I mean, the screens are the screens aren't even that expensive as a component, but you just need a lot of them. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you and when you're talking about screens, you're talking about a little um, uh, half meter by half meter square. I say meters. I, I I don't even know what that is. I guess that's about a foot and a half. Foot and a half. Yeah. Foot and a half square. Um, wow. and, and and you you deal with these like tiles, and you just build out you know any kind of shape you want with them as they as they connect together. Wow. And you can, you know, you can build them as, I mean, it's like Tetris. You can build as tall and many columns, as many rows as you want and as, and, in, and into whatever shape you can imagine. And, um, you know, but when you, when you're, t- when you're dealing with these panels that are maybe a thousand to $2,000 each for, for a foot and a half, and then you think about, you're going to need, you know, 500 square feet of that or more to do a decent size wall. It's like the, the, the cost can go up pretty quick. Yeah. Wow. All right. I would say, I mean, I would say that's, that's the big, you know, challenges in the beginning is just to get over that hump. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I, my first thought would have been for myself would have been the like learning side of it. But with, with, I mean, there's so much available nowadays. You don't, I suppose that's actually probably the easiest part is learning how to do it and, and what you need to do. Um, yeah, I guess that's not really actually. I suppose that applies to a lot of different stuff nowadays. Like you can learn just about anything you want to know. Quick, quick little YouTube Google search, and and you're off off to the races, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've learned. I've learned. I mean, you know, I. It's funny because we were the stage that we ended up building in our house was supposed was slated to go down to another studio facility that we work with, 
And when the pandemic hit, we were just like, oh, why don't we just build it in our house? Because we're never going to go there anymore. So, you know, I, I kind of got had the luck, so to speak, of spending the past year and a half just having this thing in my living room to, to experiment with every day mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, learned a lot. But but yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. It's 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 very it's it's one of those things that when it's up and operating, everybody is just so jazzed about it because it's just so interesting to see it functional that people are willing to kind of retrain themselves. I mean, I would say the main thing is people who come from a traditional VFX background may be a little bit less accustomed to the sort of like pace of live production. Okay. It's like if you're used to, well, it's like, if let's say you're used to being like an animator and, and, you know, yes, you have your deadlines, you need to get your shots done, but no one's sitting there in the room most of the time, like saying like, and action, like you're, you know, you're rendering, you're you're waiting for your things to finish. And and when you're done, you turn in your shot and you might, you know, talk to someone and get some notes back and, and finesse it. Whereas if you're an animator that's working inside a volume, it's like, and go, you know, and it's like the actors are standing right there waiting for you. So it's like you need that you need those sort of interdisciplinary skills of high hmm. sort of like artist side, but also kind of because it's like a special kind of person to be able to respond to the pressures of live production and, and not sort of like crumble or, or you know, kind of just not be able to deal with it or enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, that's I suppose, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I, um yeah, they're they're there on the stage with with the with everybody else. Then it's not it's not so much post anymore. It's yeah, it's, it's live production, like you said. Wow. I mean, you know, camera crews are very accustomed to the idea of like everything has an order. Every it's like it's like when the shot is going, they're extremely focused and everybody's working on the same thing. Whereas, you know, if you're used to working in post, the pace is a little sort of you know asynchronous in a way. Um, it's like things take as long as they need to and the pressure is not there to like nail it second by second it's just like get the job done eventually you know so it's it's, it's definitely a slightly different set of skills yeah oh that's neat oh wow wow i imagine i imagine that's that's taking some some getting used to for some people for sure well i've heard of people it's, it's, there's some retraining i've heard sort of different experiences between it sounds it's from what i gather it sounds like it's a little bit easier to make the transition for people that might be coming from a live kind of background. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I hear that are, that are, you know, operating the volume itself as the shots are going on, come from, um, you know, Broadway productions, concerts, you know, where they're very used to like on the second lighting cues and like okay. being just very active, you know, um, in a, in a, in a completely live environment, less so for people that are used to working in post, but you know, for people that want to be more involved directly, it's, it's a great deal. So, you know, it just depends. I'm, I'm curious, since, since you've kind of had your fingers into this for quite a while, what are some of the more interesting and lesser known applications for for this sort of technology? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we're, it depends if we're talking about, I mean, LED volumes, definitely it's like sky's the limit. Like anything you could imagine putting in front of a camera, you know, on in any location in any way mm-hmm. um, you can pull off. Um, but you know, there's, there's some really, like, what is that? I don't, I, I, I forget the name of that show, but there's a show that just came out where it's like, it's like the mask singer, but it's not just a physical mask. Ooh. It's like a, it's like an AR face Alt, that they're doing. Like alter doing, ego or something yeah. like that. It's a, it's a fully, yeah, it is a fully digital person. Yeah. They're like, yeah, there's like a live mocap that they're singing with. And I mean, that, that is like, you know, that's kind of mind blowing to me. It's like, that's just a completely new way of. Interacting that that just wasn't even possible a couple of years ago. 
that's true. Yeah, that is kind of neat. Huh. I'm I'm curious to looking forward um where this is going to go. Are we headed toward uh like fully immersive sort of entertainment like the Matrix? Um do you think there's going to be a little bit more of a mix where like where it's sort of more augmented reality, um interactivity? Uh, I'm curious where you think we're headed in the in the near future. Well, it it you know it's it's a good question because it's it's kind of like in a way it, it's less about where where it's possible to go so much as what becomes the consensus if that makes any sense okay. like you know like right now if I wanted to I could go pick up like an Oculus headset and mm-hmm. I would be looking probably at a game that was built in Unreal and um, you know I could interact with it in a very you know direct experiential way as opposed to just looking at a computer screen and playing a video game I would you know. I'd be completely, you know, engulfed in a VR headset and, and kind of really having a sort of out-of-body experience in a way. So I think it's just a question of which one of these approaches is going to take off and, you know, who is going to make the technology that ultimately becomes the standard, mm-hmm. if it makes any sense. You know, what what will be the iPod or the iPhone of this, you know, in five years? Is that such a thing? Do do a majority of human beings want to be wearing a headset and, and being cut off from from the world? Who knows? Yeah. If it, if it, it's going to require some amazing marketing to, to convince, I think, the average person of that. But then again, if it's so cool and amazing, it could take over overnight. It just, yeah. just remains to be seen. That's interesting. It, it reminds me, I just recently saw, um, it was an interview with Keanu Reeves. Um, it was centered around the the trailer that uh, or the, the Awakens thing that just recently. But he was telling a story about how he was having dinner with a friend of his. And they were talking about... His, the, his friend's kids, they're teenagers, um, they hadn't seen the original Matrix. So he's he's explaining the premise and, and stuff like that. And uh, the teenager commented, said, um, what what does it matter if it's real? <laughs> right. And and that kind of struck him like, like, you don't care if it's real or not? And she's like, no, because well, like, really, what's the difference? Right. And I think I, I wonder if that there's going to be this sort of is it a generational shift? Are we just becoming more accepting of a sort of virtual world? Like, um... you, you know, again, I, I I try not to read the tea leaves too much, but um, I, I have a strong sneaking suspicion that for the current generation who just spent like the past year and a half and God willing, not the next upcoming year, but potentially, um, you know, doing much of their life virtually and not just, you know, young people, but everybody, I I have a feeling we've been primed now to accept pretty much anything. Um, and, and, and there, and yeah, there will be, it'll probably be a, it's a quality of experience thing and not like, Oh, it's fake. It's like, well, you know, we all, we all collectively as a society have gotten used to that already. So what, What's the difference? Might as well have like a nicer looking image to look at. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that'll be a very huh. Just uh, yeah. I don't. I don't want to cast my mind too far <laughs> down that path. But it'll be limitless possibilities. Yes. You know, it, it just it does bring up weird questions about like how people interact with each other. It's like there's already sort of issues with like social media and whether that presents a false narrative of life. In, mm-hmm. in, a, in general. And so are we, um, you know, are we heading down a path that we're 
where we're kind of numbing people out or we're able to just produce this sort of utopia or or this you know just it seems it seems like it could go in a weird way and but that's i don't know it's a weird path to go down <laughs> no 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 i i you know it's funny um when i look at the movie red ready player one is like i think supposed sure. to be set like 30 years in the future but i feel like we're inches away from that yeah. you know, all the tech all the technology that could make that a possibility is here already mm-hmm. really i i think what is going to make a difference is whichever company kind of is able to commercialize it in a way that people that a majority of people want to embrace and you know and the, is the quality of the experience enough because yeah i mean it's like what what sounds more cool going to sit in a theater where you're dodging covid already anyway <laughs> with a bunch of strangers to see a 2d image or maybe a 3d image with glasses on or whatever or like i just get to sit down and chat with neo all day long about you know whatever he wants to do and then we we ride off in a car together and blast our way out or something i mean like that sounds like more fun to me so yeah. i mean I don't know. I guess I guess the question is whether we go down one path or the other. I'm guessing we'll probably go down all of them. That's all of them. Yeah. I mean, wow. it's like is 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 Facebook a a beautiful like place for you to look at that the fun stuff your friends are doing and keep and 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 you know keep up with old acquaintances or is it a place to like tear each other down and horribly nasty political discourse? Yes. <laughs> right. It is it is kind of both. Um It'll just be however people use the tools. And and like I think you mentioned, like commercialize it, make it palatable to a, a broad spectrum of people. Because it is it does feel very niche right now. Like VR, there hasn't been the big hook yet that no. gets everybody involved. Um and and yeah, that's I think that is gonna be the big hurdle is what what is it that's gonna capture everybody's attention? Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. The, I mean, I, the, the tech, I think, is there, like I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my favorite ones, Business Wars, that was all about the iPhone versus BlackBerry. Most mm-hmm. people, they're like, what's a BlackBerry? <laughs> you know, but it's 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 funny. You, you listen to it and you realize like that was the standard. It was like business people need this because they need email. They right. can't afford to be without their email. And then it's like, okay, that was basically, so they, so they was like, they were selling millions of those phones a year to business people. And then it's like, well, what is the, what do phones today sell? It's like in the, in the billions, because they do, you know, anything essentially that you want. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like we're on the precipice of that again, that we go from what is a niche. Cause I mean, yeah, you, if you were really into VR, there have been very viable technologies you could be playing with for five, five plus years easily. Mm-hmm. Does the average person that's not super, you know, into tech stuff care? Probably not because it's too fiddly or it's just it's not something anybody else has. So what do they care? But that's yeah. but that moment where we get over that hump is very close. I feel. Yeah, I think this is a little off topic, but I think I think augmented reality is going to be the first real breakthrough. Um, somebody like Apple, it's probably it, let's be real. It's probably going to be Apple will come out with some really cool glasses and it will be a very smooth and easy transition um, from that to a fully immersive virtual experience. It's it's, it's just the experience. It is the experience. Yeah. Whoever does it. Like, I mean, when you play with these things now, it is very fiddly, Mm -hmm. you know, just getting it. Like, I mean, I had a, I had an HTC Vive headset, which is super cool, but 
Oh my God. It's, it took me like two days and I'm a pretty technical person. It took me two days to really get it operating properly. Like I had to keep updating. And then there was like, now you need to do this firmware and I, Oh, oh your lighthouses are in the wrong, but it was just like, ah, and when it was finally running, it was great. But I'm like, is the average human being that's not, you know, super committed to tech like I am going to going to go through all this trouble? No, of course not. So yeah, I mean, somebody needs to just boil it down to, I mean, you pick up a phone right now and it's just boom, you touch it and it just works. There's not like, you don't have to spend like 20 minutes. And that was the same with the Blackberry, you know, again, mm-hmm. it was like, just to get, just to make it give you email. It was like, you had to sign up on this website and then you had to like, okay, all this stuff. And then you had to call the phone call. And it was just like, why? <laughs> I mean, you know, all that's just got to go away and it will. I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable. So, yeah. yeah, there's, I feel like there's more to, and maybe we've, we've kind of, we've had a really good, just kind of flow conversation. And I'm, I'm curious about some of the other technical aspects that go into virtual production. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, animators right there on the stage doing, they, they're able to manipulate the environment live. Um, they can move a box or you know rocks and things like that. Um, what are some of the other things that go along with virtual productions that are changing how films are being made? So I think the main main one is really just the concept of having things that used to be relegated to after filming happening now beforehand. Because it's like when you're looking at the Mandalorian, you're seeing finished visual effects shots, which in the past would have been. Like if you look at, I mean, if you compare, if you watch any of the Star Wars prequels and compare that to any episode of The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. you can totally see how things look different. Sure. Because in the Star Wars prequels, everything was filmed with minimal foreground set pieces and just ginormous green screens. And oh. so, you know, the vast majority of the environments that are in the finished film were put in carefully in post-production when the actors had long gone home. And yet when when you look at the mandalorian it's like everything you're seeing in the frame for the most part uh was there live on the day and the actors were you know could react to it the cinematographer could light to it the camera operator could frame for it and just everything just feels just that much more tactile and real Mm -hmm. um and so having that mentality of all the stuff you're used to doing after the fact happening before you get to the shoot day is really the big challenge just having all that you know like if you want it to be the bridge of a spaceship it's got to be built everything ready to go for the camera before you show up with your camera and not you know later and fix it up on a green screen and do whatever you need to do to make. it's like the decision making needs to happen earlier much earlier oh. so i think that's i think that's probably one of the biggest sort of things to get your head around for this stuff is just like that prep that's different has it has has this made it easier is it faster now then or no it's it's it can be because um you know it's it's a lot simpler to get into post-production with essentially finished finished shots than having just like miles of green screen and sort of like making it up as you go mm-hmm. um but i would say more than it being faster it's far more creatively fulfilling oh. like like when shots when shows are working on these stages it's like I just, it's the feedback I get from anybody that's filmed on one of these is just like, this is just so much more creatively stimulating and fulfilling because it's like, there's less time sort of trying to convince each other what it is you're trying to, trying to produce because everybody can just see it. It's not like, oh, or that plus is over there. That's going to be this crazy, cool monster. And then, 
right over there where that beanbag is. You know, that's this incredible vista out of the spaceship window that you're supposed to be blown away by. You can play all that, right? And they're just like, sure. You know, versus like, it's just there because we, we already built it. Yeah. That actually, I think it was on your podcast. There was a director. I think it was a director who was fairly resistant to... Um, like they had a screen, like you could walk around and see basically what the shot was going to look like. And he was kind of resistant to it until somebody was like, no, come here, look at this. And it just like completely changed their mind of, of, of how it was. And I, it was one of the earlier episodes. I wish I could recall better now, but um, I think that kind of plays into what you were saying. It's, it's, you can see it, it, there's less, I suppose less distance between what, what they see in their head versus, versus what's actually being filmed. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely, I think it's extremely frustrating on some levels to do a movie that's got just miles of green screen because, um, you know, it's like you kind of walk away from the day, not really certain as to what you got. Sure. You know, it's like, well, we fit, you know, we lit the, we lit the foregrounds really nice. The, the blue screen was perfectly evenly lit and I think it's going to composite great what it's going to look like. I have no idea, <laughs> you know, versus like, well, that looked awesome. Like we filmed everything that's just right there in front of the camera and we're done. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just, I mean, film crews as a, don't get pulled a lot for their, um, their creative, uh, ex uh expression and, and level of satisfaction. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine there are too many that are working on these productions that don't feel like it's just way more, um, creatively fulfilling to see everything come together on the day instead of what, not really ever seeing it until they're watching it in theater. And it's like, Oh darn, that's what it's going to look like. Mm, oh. I would have changed what I was lighting. If I had known that, I guess it's too late now. Right. I wonder too. So a lot of this centers around the actual production, like the film making. I w I'm, I'm curious: is this also going to change how we consume content? And 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 then by extension, is the content itself going to it's uh, going to change as well? Because um, like right now, it's a lot. It's fairly passive. You know, we're we're watching it, and it it just happens. Um, I wonder if these are headed toward um, sort of more interactive storytelling yeah i mean i always have this i always have this dream that someone's gonna basically remake star wars where like i'm just like sitting with them the whole time you know and i'm talking to, i mean they kind of have there's there's some rudimentary well i shouldn't say rudimentary there are some very nicely built uh vr experiences that that um ilm x lab has made uh that that gets you into that zone a little bit mm -hmm. but you know you're still very aware that you're looking at a great looking video game but there are moments where they're like, oh, I really feel like I'm standing next to this person in real life. But if they could take that a few notches forward in terms of development, you know, I, I think we'll get to a point where, yeah, people are just going to experience these stories in a whole new way. And I mean, I'm, 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 if you're a theater, if you're owning theater stock right now, you might want to consider divesting because I love the experience in the theater, but I think there's going to come a hard stop moment where theaters will pe will feel hopelessly old fashioned yeah. based on what's possible. And, and you'll still have that very collective experience. Like anybody who's gone to like a concert in Fortnite, for example, will tell you that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And there's, and you, and it's like, it's very different from sitting in a movie theater and watching a movie with a bunch of strangers kind of laughing along with you or, or cheering or whatever. But it's in some ways a more interesting experience. So I mean, you know, there's there's 
there are like when I was a kid, we had like arcades. That was like a fun collective thing. And those are just gone. Yeah. You know, you once in a while you might see something, you know, some old school arcade still operating somewhere like an old Chuck E. Cheese's or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, that used to be it. There was like video. I mean, you go to any 7-Eleven, there are just video games everywhere. Yeah. You know? So it's like, I mean, that that will happen to theaters. I mean, like it or not, it, there will just come a moment where the experience, the alternative experience is so amazing that it'll be hard to convince people to to want to have a passive experience because it's just, you know, the, the, the alternative is so much more interesting to look at. Yeah. I wonder too about, um, like so for, sort of interactive where, um, you have things like Netflix is uh bandersnatch, right. It was kind of a choose your own adventure sort of, um, thing. And, um, I wonder if, if that'll be, we'll see more of that sort of style, especially with things like, like metahumans where, um, you could potentially have one person be everyone in your movie um, or no one mm-hmm. really. Uh, I don't know, that, and that's a whole nother topic too, is like virtual actors. That's, that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know there's a, there's a very, there's a, there's a couple of talent agencies that are starting to um, specialize in the area of likeness licensing, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they're essentially taking the face of an actor and their visage, their stature, and essentially offering that as a, you know, something, something you would, you would purchase and use like as if it were a prop or a costume as kind of creepy as it sounds in some ways, it's like, you know, actors may ultimately end up with a much longer career trajectory because you know if you've seen you've seen some of the some of the deep fake stuff that's been going on it's and it's it's only getting better and better exponentially you know i know that i i i know there's um you know several projects in the works right now that are going to tap into that where the and actors you know i mean even the marvel movies you see there's a lot of scenes where they have like robert Downey jr playing himself much younger um or um, or uh, Michael Douglas playing himself much younger, or Samuel Jackson playing himself much younger, and it's just that will continue to get to a point where they don't even need to bother to show up on the set anymore. A stunt person plays their physical actions, and you know, then they just overlay their performance as if it were, you know, some kind of AR projection. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's neat. I did see. Oh, excuse me. <coughs> I did see recently some a company was offering a couple hundred grand for. Uh, to basically purchase someone's face or their likeness uh, in perpetuity. Like we are going to own your look forever. And that's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I feel like that's kind of an odd approach because, you know, if it's, unless it's somebody well-known, like I could understand like, Oh, I want to have Brad Pitt in my movie. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to pay his fee to actually show up, but can I just license him to be in the background of a shot for, you know, a couple thousand dollars? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, versus like a person who's not very well known. I mean, it's very easy to just generate a human looking face. Oh, sure. It's, it's, it's kind of a generic face. That's, that's very easy to do. So, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm also seeing that there are, there are many business propositions out there that people are trying out and some of them stick and some of them go nowhere, but I, I think kind of anything is possible right now. It's, it is. We are in some very exciting times. I think this is just super cool. We're all the, all these different 
technologies are kind of just floating around each other and and it's just waiting for some catalyst to really draw them all together because you have you have stuff like uh like the metahumans where these are you know it's like ai generated faces and people or and you have enough of a of a technology for i mean there's a website that's like this person is fake or something like that. And it generates AI generated images in there. That's a, that could be a real person. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's shocking almost. And you have AI writing scripts, you have AI editing. Um, and it'd be really neat to just see like a fully, fully AI generated movie, everything from the script to the editing, to the people, the sound, everything. It'd be very, well, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and if you think about it, you know we're we're halfway there already because I mean it's no secret that you know um, streamers like Netflix will oftentimes make movies based on very sophisticated watching habits of the viewers, and it's like, well, people love this actor, they love this actor, they they like this kind of plot. What happens if we plug those elements all together? Will we make a movie that everybody's guaranteed to love? Probably, yeah. I mean, you know. <sighs> And if you took that a step further and just said, like, let's just generate that movie and not even bother to film it because the because the image quality is so high and we'll just license the, the actors that we want to be in there. I mean, it's like, sure. What a trip. What a trip. Um, it's like the perfect romance, rom-com. Well, AI, it, it could know. it could it could be bespoken on the fly. Imagine <laughs> if it's like, what do you like? I, well, I really like this movie, this movie, and this movie. Boom! We're going to render this movie for you right now that combines all those elements that no one's ever seen before. It's literally just made for you right now. Like that that could be done in a number in in two or three years easily. I could totally see that. Oh, ooh, would that be? That's actually a really cool thought. Just uh, individually bespoke film experience like we and, we've crafted this whole story just for you yeah, and and you can tell us if halfway through it you're not feeling this one character well we'll just subtly kill them off in the next scene and you won't have to deal with them anymore it's like we'll def i mean that's kind of how video games work now but i mean yeah. you know there, there will come that moment oh. where um you know it, it, it kind of uh converges to a point where yeah there, there will be an indistinguishable feeling between a passive and an and a interactive experience, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I suppose we kind of just touched on that, but I'm, I'm curious if there is anything that you're super excited about in the future, the next few years, like anything in particular, I suppose. I mean, I just, I, to me, I, I want to see this stuff become more, um, more accessible, more ubiquitous because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I went to film school right on the tail end of, of the kind of analog universe where everything was shot on film. Mm -hmm. um, and just to get even the slightest looking, slightest professional looking thing in the can, so to speak. And we called it in the can because there was a film can, literally, right. which nowadays people are just like, well, why, why, what's the can? Um, there is no can. Uh, but, but I mean, um, just, just the mechanism that was required to get something good looking was so expensive and so, I mean, you had to go to film school because that was the only place you could really even afford to get access to the gear. You know, whereas now, um, you know, there's, it's just like the bar is almost non-existent. It's like you can make, I, I could easily shoot a movie with a, with a, with a current model phone that would blow away anything I could ever have done in film school based on the gear I had access to, you know, by far. And so just thinking about 
how those boundaries are kind of continue to come down. And I want to see them come down for this stuff too, because it's, it is just super fun to film, you know, when you, when it's all operating and it's like, wow, we've done, you know, we just in this tiny little lab volume that we have, we've done, I've, I've personally starred in like six NYU short films as like the main and only actor. Cause there's nobody else around to do it except me. So, but it's like, it's like, I never would have done that even, you know, I could, if you'd told me I was going to be doing that even two years ago, I'd be like, why would they want me? It's like, well, cause you're available. And it's yeah. like, just being able to have those experiences and, and work with people that I, you know, never even would have met before has been really, really uh, creatively stimulating. And so seeing that proliferate and become more, um, more accessible, I think it's just going to be great. I, I want to hear new stories, you know, now there's going to be no, no barriers to telling them anymore. So, um, that actually leads to a great, a great another question. Um, other than your wonderful field guide, what other sort of resources do you know of that, that other people can use to kind of get them started um, down this very cool path? I mean, you know, that that's a good question. I, I probably get that one the most. It's like, I have, I'm so interested in this stuff, but I can't even figure out where to start. You know, what, what, what would you suggest as kind of a point of entry? And I would say start by messing with Unreal. You know, sure. it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's rare that there's, there's, yeah, exactly. It's free. Go, go to Unreal, <laughs> Unreal Engine. Is it Unreal Engine or Unreal.com? I think it's just Unreal. But um, yeah, UnrealEngine.com. Um, you know, it's a completely free environment. And if you are really good at Unreal Engine, you can write your own ticket. You could be making video games. You could be doing stage shows. You could be doing TV. You could be doing film. And just by saying, I'm very good at Unreal, you will get hired because there's just a very, there's a big shortage right now in people that have mastered that software, but who are also interested in making you know movies. Most people who know it are happily working away in video games and have no interest in going to movies because it's an easy gig or, or it's not an easy gig, but it's a gig they're into. So that'd be my first step one if you're into this is, is learn that software or at least familiarize yourself. Mm -hmm. and anything else? Um, I mean that, and I mean, I've, most of the stuff I've learned is like, you know, YouTube searches can, can, you cannot go wrong. There's a lot of, I guess I find that fascinating, you know, because again, when I was starting out in, in film school, there wasn't a lot of information to be accessed. You know, the, the internet was very, you know, basic at the time. And I make, I'm making myself sound like I'm a million years older. I'm talking around the turn of the century now. Um, there was there. not a lot of, there's not a lot, yeah, not a lot of information. I mean, I literally, buy, I would end up going and buying a lot of books just to understand a lot of this stuff. But now, you know, I, and, and this information had a cost. Whereas now I see a lot of availability of really very qualified and experienced people just giving it away just because there's just a tendency to want to share this stuff or, you know, whatever. Maybe they're trying to build their own audience and, you know, make a little, little advertiser money or whatever. But I mean, it's, very easy to find this info and it's very hyper focused on the stuff you're looking for. So, um, there's that. Yeah. Epic has a ton of learning, um, uh, true. resources and yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. You can't go wrong with that. I'm, I'm there you go. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, here I'll post a link to their learn unreal engine from the people who make unreal engine. Yeah. Oh, oh, I just shrunk myself. By accident, I hit the I hit the wrong valve on my. Oh, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> Whoops, uh, man! I'm I'm really excited to see more of of what people do with this stuff because I feel like it could go so far beyond just um, just filmmaking and um, I, I it's it's weird because I find myself in a position of where I'm 
I'm not knowledgeable enough to even ask the right questions to know or to 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 even imagine what could be done with the the stuff and but that kind of is exciting too because then I get to be surprised by the next <laughs> the next few years. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I it's 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 very. I mean, I knew nothing. I I other than you know having some awareness of these techniques in terms of post production and, and my writing, you know, I had very little hands on experience until a few years ago, and um, so you know, and and it's a good time to get into it, I think, because there aren't that many people. Because I mean, it's it's like you're talking about almost like a complete reinvention of filmmaking that's happened in the past couple of years, you know? So, I mean, it's like, if you're interested in this stuff right now, you're at the ground floor. It's a great time to get started because they're the, the, uh, the idea of a veteran in this stuff is like a person who's done it a couple of times. So, I mean, it's it, the, the entry bar is lower than it's ever going to be. Yeah. Which is great. Cause uh, I think when people who come into, um, especially filmmaking, I feel like has a somewhat rigid uh, sort of structure to it. There's, there's these established rules. We film things this way. We have storytelling that goes, you know, these certain arcs and certain touch points that, that it's just the way it's always been done. And with these tools being very, very accessible, it brings people, it allows people to jump into who don't care. About the rules there i'm gonna try this thing because nobody ever told me that i couldn't and yeah. it's very exciting yeah no there there are there are really no boundaries to what is possible and um you know uh hopefully that will that will enable more voices uh to, and you know I, I mean i hopefully we're in a time where people embrace that as much as possible. I mean, I think you're, you're definitely seeing that. You see a lot of diverse voices making these incredibly ambitious movies just because, you know, the, the tech part is kind of sorted. It's, it's not like, I mean, I think, you know, George Lucas took a huge leap forward in Star Wars, the original sure. one, just because he managed to put together a bunch of technologies that no one had really ever harnessed in such a way before. Uh, and if he weren't such a technical person, he probably wouldn't have, he was probably his technical prowess was as much as his story sense to make that happen. Whereas nowadays, you know, I'm seeing movies that are very technically complex being tackled by not untechnical people. Cause most filmmakers are very technical to begin with, but people you wouldn't necessarily think would be coming from an interest in that because all of that stuff is just sorted out and they can just focus on, you know, hopefully crafting an interesting story in front of the camera. Right. Oh, so cool. I love it. This is, this is really cool. I, um, man, I wish we had a little bit more time. We are a little bit over our hour, so I'm going oh, yeah. to I'm have to wrap it up. Um, but thank you so much. This has been just fascinating. I love this part of my job so much. I get to uh, – a little peek behind the curtain, I get to offer that to other people too. And, man, every day, every time I do this, it's something new, something so just – mind-blowing and exciting and so thank you so much for being here today Noah. this was wonderful my pleasure oh and i should i should throw a shout out yes I, yes I, I one, one of the things that makes my life very easy and then this is good this is gonna sound like an advertisement right now but it's the truth um, i happen to have one of your systems on our stage and oh, sure. it's such a potent little beast and but it runs without making any sounds which is as anybody who's a filmmaker could tell you is very key so uh I couldn't be happier with with having excess the excess power we need to make these crazy setups in, in virtual production, but it doesn't. I'm not hearing a fan blow nonstop in the middle of the take because 
that kind of ruins your day. If it's like you're doing some amazing dramatic scene and all of a sudden you hear the war, like, yeah, this is very happy with that. Awesome. Well, thanks. Actually, that, uh, before we go, is there anything of yours that our audience can go and see something that you've made that you've played around with, with their, with your system and, and the, the volume you have at home? You know, there, where is that? That's a good question. Where I think, yeah, I think if you, if you, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you can okay. see a bunch of behind the scenes stuff that we've shot. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm not allowed to show any of these NYU films that we did because they have some, there's some uh, privacy issues around the, the, the uh, student work they do, but, okay. but it's, but, um, but they are, it's a lot of fun. And um, you know, the more, I think anybody that's been exposed to this stuff will, 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 will say the same, that it really is kind of huge leap forward in terms of just job satisfaction in the filmmaking world. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us, taking time out of the day to to talk with us about this. This was, I'm, I'm sure we could go on and on. Um, and actually, we'll probably have you on again because things are going to change. Things are changing fast. And Big time. Uh, there's, there'll definitely be more to talk about. Um, so thank you again. Um, and I would like to thank the audience as well for joining us. We do this on Wednesdays, um, most Wednesdays, to, <laughs> barring unforeseen circumstances. Um, we like to bring in uh, external experts like Noah on. And uh, we also have a, a round uh, sort of a potpourri of our own internal experts uh, on as well. Uh, Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific. And um, actually next week we're having our president, John Bach, on to talk about... Um, just wrapping up the year and how things have gone and where things are going. So um, make sure you mark your calendars for that every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks again.